Wow, here we are. Week six, Daring Faith. It seems to me, does it seem to you like it just started? Just like the other day, we, we still do have a couple books. If you know somebody that, uh, that needs to uh, go through it, uh, sure, we have, uh, we have extra uh, study guides. They could go through the videos online and that sort of thing. Um, so this has been a journey of looking at faith and looking um, to the fact that, that faith is about, uh, at least in this series, is about not missing the adventure that God has for us. Not, not becoming so comfortable in our easy chair of life that when God comes by and challenges us with something, that we just, you know, we just sort of close our eyes and wait till that urge passes, kind of like I do when I think about running in the morning. You know, it's like, should I or shouldn't I? Well, if I just yeah, nope, not going to do it. That's, sometimes that happens uh, in our relationship with God. Too often we walk the same old path, we do the same old stuff, we see the same old things, and when God wants us to venture out into the unknown, uh, to be bold risk takers, we, we, we stick with the comfortable. We stick with, with the known, what, what we like. Um, we sit back and we play it safe. Now, over this five weeks, and then today, we've been challenged with five things, and I want to sort of remind us of those. If you look in your notes, there are five bullet points there at the beginning of them. Um, the first week, we were challenged to respond to God's challenge. You know, God challenges us, and that was the first thing that we were challenged to do, again, to get out of that lazy boy. As men and women in our families, uh, in our church, in our community, to reach out to do what we can to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then number two, we looked at the pursuit of God's best. You know, one of the things as Christians we're supposed to do is we're supposed to pursue after God. And, and we focused on Paul's statement in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And it said this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus took hold of us. And he has something for us. What is that? What is that best thing? Brothers and sisters, Paul says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know me. You know I'm all about competition. I love this verse. It's like, let's pursue. Let's get better. But in order to get better, we have to have something that we're striving for. And Paul says that that one thing is to pursue God's best, pressing on to win, determining and obeying that for which God has called us heavenward. Um, Jesus is the center of all that we do. Of all that we say, all that we are, he calls us, he redeems us, he calls us to sanctification and evangelism, he justifies us before our Father in heaven. And then we were challenged to imagine and dream. You know, as I said, I think we've kind of forgotten that lost art in our culture today because we go to a movie or we watch TV and it removes all sense of imagination. We can make anything. You know, they can, they can put other worlds that don't ex even exist before us on a TV screen and, and we can be wowed by those things. But what are those things that, that God wants us to dream about and imagine? For our church, 40 years old, what, what does God have us in the next 5 to 10 years? What are those? And, I, you know, I, I mentioned BHAGs, B-H-A-G, little s, big, hairy, audacious goals. What are those things? Do you have any? 
Do you have anything in your mind that you believe God has put there that can only happen if he empowers you and, and moves you in that process? I think of, of after the bombing in Manchester. That's where the Manchester United are, are right. I mean, the soccer team or football team, if you're in Europe. Um, the fact that, that, that they, they heard God say something, and he said, go do this, and the fact that you did it, because I could think of all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't do that. Why, no, nah, that can't, that wouldn't really do anything, God. There's no way that that would start any sort of lasting conversation. And look what God did. Look, look what God did with the simple obedience of a small group of people. Even before that, look at what God did with the simple obedience of a young lady who said, yes, I will go to another country across the ocean, away from the comforts that I know, and I'll give my life to proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and, and as the body of Christ, if we end up with some ideas that are nuts or maybe even a little bit crazy, remember that first, uh, that second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 13 and 14 where Paul says, if we are out of our mind, it, it is to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's okay for us, which is good, because sometimes I'm out of my mind, um, to imagine and dream and to ask God to give us dreams. God, give us as a church a vision for, for our community or for another country in the world, an unreached people group. I don't know what those things are going to be, but I'm trusting that if we all are faithful in praying as individuals, that God will, will lean us all in the right direction. So when we start talking about it, we go, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that too. And we can determine what several of those things are that God wants us to imagine and dream and then to accomplish. Two weeks ago, we studied the biblical concept of planting and harvesting, the fact that, 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 that it's, very, uh, it's all throughout Scripture, this idea of sowing and reaping. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's simple. Um, what we spend our time doing, what the seeds that we spend uh, our time planting, that is what's going to come up. That's what's going to harvest, whether positive or negative. Good decisions, bad decisions, with, with our words and our actions and our relationships, we reap what we sow. What are we sowing? What are you sowing? Parents, teachers, businessmen and women, students, small groups, as a church, what are we sowing? What are we planting? What seeds are we planting? And where's our commitment levels? To each other, to our families, to our community, to our husband, to our wives, to our children, to our God, and to our church. The Bible says we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, to completely sell out, to commit it all, and that's what we talked about last week. Let's be like a pig, not a chicken. Remember? Did you tell that joke a couple times this week? Um, I read last week, the difference between involvement and commitment is like a breakfast of ham and eggs. The chicken was involved, the pig was totally committed. Are we willing to sell out for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's be like a pig, not a chicken. I never really thought of pigs as being bold animals, but... In Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 42, we saw last week, 
that was a snapshot of this kind of commitment with the disciples. You see, they, they were drug in before the leaders, and they were flogged, they were beaten, um, they were persecuted, they were jailed. And then verse 40, um, it, it said that they were ordered to not speak about Jesus Christ again. And what was their response? What was their commitment level to to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, in verses 41 and 42, we saw the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. First of all, they're rejoicing that they were persecuted. That just seems a little crazy, doesn't it? It's about the attitude. It's about their attitude. Day after day, verse 42 says... In the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Didn't matter. Tell me you're going to kill me. Tell me you're going to throw me in jail. Persecute me more. It doesn't matter. Because they were servants of Jesus Christ. Talk about getting out of the boat. Talk about facing your fear with courage. Let's follow their example. And now as we close the Daring Faith series, here is our final challenge. With faith, with faith, let's get out of the chair. With faith, let's get out of the boat. With faith, let's get up off that chair that you're sitting in. And with faith, let's let go and let's let God. And I know that's cliche, but it is so true. It is so true. We have to let go. We got to quit hanging on to the known. We got to quit hanging on to the comfort and the control. If you were in a Bible study last week and you watched uh, video five, um, I gave the example of a trapeze artist swinging. And when you watch them, you know it's sort of it's sort of death-defying. You know, especially if they don't have a net under them, which no crazy person would do that because they can't be perfect in doing that. But 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 when when the gal leaves the platform and she swings out across and there's another trapeze on the other side whether there's somebody hanging on it or not she in order to get to that trapeze over there she has to let go of this one and sometimes when we let go of the known and we're obeying God and we step out into the unknown we feel like that trapeze artist does for a moment kind of hanging in the middle of of nowhere with no security except the almighty God and, and we, we, also, we also heard that, that it's dangerous for a trapeze artist that swings out and lets go to, to either look back or look down because if they do that, they're not going to continue the momentum to be able to grab onto what's in front of them. They really have to look up. And that's what we need to do. That's what we do. That is a part of this challenging faith. We need to quit hanging on to the known and the comfort and the control. And that is a big challenge for me too. I, mean, I like the known. I like to be in control. I don't like to be out of control. But there are lots of times when that's where God, that's exactly where God wants us. Turn with me. We're going to hang in a passage this morning. Matthew chapter 14. Turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 14. And I forgot to look in these Bibles this morning. What yeah, you can't give me your page, Tom. It won't be right for everybody else. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles underneath the seats. Snag one of those up because these verses will not be on the screen. Matthew chapter 14, that is uh, going to be on page 970. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's page 970 
in here, and I'm going to read. Follow along as I read the first few verses of Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately, this is, this is after Jesus fed the 5,000. He just did a miracle, an incredible miracle. The disciples saw this amazing thing that God just did. He fed 5,000 people with only a little bit of food and had lots left over. Man, our ladies would be great. Our ladies would be happy if they could fix a Thanksgiving meal with only, what was it, two loaves and three fish, or was it the other way around? Three loaves and two fish? Wouldn't it be great, ladies, if for Thanksgiving dinner you could only cook five loaves and three fish? See, five loaves and two fish. You even know, don't you, Joseph? That, see, I'm, this is actually, this is on purpose. I'm trying to get you all to know the... Yeah. He, he, so he feeds 5,000 people and has all of this left over. And then in verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made, made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. I want to stop there, and I just want to make a couple observations. These, there aren't points for these in your notes, but you might write them down if you, if you want to. The first observation I make in this, as I, as I read this, is Jesus took time to be alone. Even the Son of God knew that he needed time alone with the Father. Jesus took time alone to pray, and we can do that in our everyday life. It's something that would be great for us to do. Then it said, then he, he sent the disciples into a known struggle. You can't tell me Jesus didn't know there was going to be a storm come up when they were rowing across. Okay? This is the thing. Jesus knew this wasn't going to happen, or he knew this was going to happen. Now, the situation that the disciples find themselves in, it's not an evil situation. It's a struggle of a situation. It's difficult for them. They fear, actually, even, might even fear for their lives. I don't know how big the waves were, how big the storm was, but it was big enough that they couldn't roll across the Sea of Galilee. Okay? So Jesus sends them into a known struggle so that he could reveal himself, so that he could do something in that situation. I believe God does that for us all the time. And I, I guess I need to be okay that, with that as his disciple. He sends me into known struggles. Why? So that I can rely on him. So that I can grow in my faith in him. The third observation I would make is that uh, later that night that the boat was as uh, later that night, the boat was being buffeted, but Jesus didn't move. You notice that? It says, first of all, um, the boat was uh, later that night, the boat was a considerable distance from land, and it was being buffeted by the waves. So Jesus looks, he sees the disciples struggling, and then what does he do? Nothing. He doesn't do anything. He stays right where he is. And it's not until... Um, Shortly before dawn, somewhere between 3 in the morning and 6 in the morning, Jesus says, okay, now it's time. Now I'm going to go to them. And that's exactly what he does. Now, 
the disciples are all involved in this struggle against the wind and the waves. I don't know if they're bailing. I don't know what all is going on. But they're not getting the boat across. And Jesus is walking towards them and they see him and they freak out. Right? Why do they not know his face by now? Why do they not know that Jesus could do this? Anyway, they're so wrapped up in, this, in their struggle that they don't recognize Jesus. In fact, they cry out, it's a ghost. And, and how does Jesus respond to that? Oh, come on, guys, you couldn't recognize me? No, Jesus says, it's me. It's me. In fact, he says, it is I. Which some commentators, commentators think that um, it was a, a play on the words of God's name of himself, I am. It is I am. It's me, your God, your creator. Jesus assures them that it is him. And then Peter says something. Look at verse 28. Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Is that the first thing that would come to your mind? I mean, I, I read several commentators on this this week, and I wrestled with this. How, what, what, what does this mean? What does Peter say? Some think that Peter was just being, you know, sticking his foot in his mouth. He was, he, he, he was being presumptuous in, in suggesting that God should, should make him do something that only God can do, walk on water. The other, the other idea is, Peter wanted to have great faith. And, and Peter, Peter wanted, you know, he wanted assurance that it was Jesus. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Even though Peter is asking for the impossible. which is what our God is about, right? Doing the impossible. He can do the impossible. We think that, you think that thing is impossible? Trust him for it. If, if he's asking you to do something in regards to that and you think it's impossible, that's wonderful because that's where he wants you to be. He wants you to trust him in stepping out to do the impossible because he is a God of the impossible. And he will empower you to do that. Peter asks Jesus to give him a command, to order him to do something that is not only a huge risk, but in my mind, has a high probability of failure. I mean, it, were you ever one of those children that thought it would be really awesome to walk on water when you were growing up and maybe even tried once in a while? I, I tried to water ski barefooted once, and that didn't really work very good. I couldn't keep my big toes from going in the water, and I kept face-planting. You ever tried to run across the water and see how far you could get? Yeah, I've done that before. Now, see, I could do that. I could back float. Hey, you know, you guys, you could, you could take some, some clues from Joseph over here and you know, get involved in this message a little bit more. You know, like amen or hallelujah or something like that. It, um, See, that's an aspect of faith that, that I've seen in this series, and this is it. This is one of the first of the three points in your notes this morning. Faith requires risking failure. Faith requires risking failure. Trusting when we don't see it. Even if it has great potential for failure, if it's a command of God, we risk it. 
It may have been presumptuous for Peter to ask what he did, but what was Jesus' answer? Don't you think that if Jesus thought, come on, Peter, really? Jesus would have said, come on, Peter, really? That's not what he says. He's, what does he say? Come. Get out of that boat and walk to me. That's what Jesus says in verse 29. And what did Peter do? <laughs> he got out of the boat and he started walking towards Jesus. Peter's the only one. The other disciples, where are they? They're sitting in the boat, staying comfortable, wondering how this is all going to go. Sometimes we do that, don't we? Somebody has this vision or this, this uh, they imagine something that God wants them to do that's great, and we say, yeah, great, go for it. And we sit back and we stay in the boat, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait and see how that turns out, and then maybe I'll commit to it. Then maybe I will do that. These disciples were still in the boat. Now, I think it's also interesting to note that Jesus, when they get back in the boat, doesn't reprimand them for not getting out. Now, there may have been a conversation later in that or some sort of lesson that Jesus taught, but we're not told that there was. Um, in fact, I think there, would be, there will be many further opportunities for them to grow in their faith and to say yes to the things that God was calling them to. In fact, they do. We see it in the book of Acts. Which, of course, as we just saw, had a risk of failure. Jail, death. Now, on, some hand, on the other hand, I think maybe we need to have a different attitude about what failure actually is. You know, many would say that the Torrington Trailblazers um, season ended in failure because they didn't win the state championship. Uh, I heard a, a message from the coach, the, the former coach from, from Sheridan High School. He coached football up there for years, and, and he said one of the things that he did was try to teach his boys that, yes, our goal is to win, but that's not our only goal. Because if that's our only goal, and we, get to, and we have an undefeated season, and we lose that final game of the season, then what was the season? It was a failure, if that was our only goal. But there were lots of other goals to have, to be a better person, to help my teammates, to grow in some way, shape, or form. I mean, that's really what sports should, should be about, right? It's, it's, to me, winning is, is, I mean, that's what gives me the, that's what puts that goal out there. But if that's the only goal I have, be miserable every, now, it is miserable to lose. I like to win, but there are many more lessons to be gained through that. Peter, what, what about other things? You know, Jonas Salk, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he attempted 200 unsuccessful vaccines for polio before he came up with the one that worked. He tried 200 times, failed 200 times, right? He, somebody asked him about that. They said, how did it feel to fail 200 times trying to invent a vaccine for polio? You know what his response was? I never failed 200 times at anything in my life. My family taught me never to use that word. I simply discovered 200 ways how not to make a vaccine for polio. It's all about attitude. Somebody asked Winston Churchill what most prepared him to lead Great Britain. Interesting that that illustration jumped in the uh, sermon this morning. Through World War II, for a period of time, Great Britain stood virtually alone against Nazi Germany. 
as it dominated the Western world. This was Churchill's response. He said this, It was the time I repeated a class in grade school. And the questioner said, You mean you flunked a grade? Churchill said, I never flunked in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. <laughs> Look, we're going to fail. We're going to try things. We're going to take risks. And we're going to fall down. But you know what? Would it can't die? In the cornfield, right? You know, we can't be afraid of taking risks. We've got to trust God even when we don't see it. Walk with him no matter what our circumstances are. Saying yes to commands that are in our mortal and feeble minds have a high probability of failure. If God is calling me to this thing, whatever it is, my best answer is yes, and I'm going to risk failing. Let's ask God to give us dreams and help us imagine what lies ahead. Staying true to our Savior and our Lord when life is rough, that's daring faith. And daring faith requires risking failure. So Peter says to Jesus, tell me to come to you. Give me a command, Peter says. And Jesus' response was to give him a command. Come out of the boat. And what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat. Which bears out the fact that when we ask Jesus for direction, when we ask him to give us a vision, to give us a dream, when he gives us that, we don't step back and say, oh, let me think about that. Our response has to be, yes, yes, I will. So number two, faith means choosing to follow Jesus, which is going to look different for everybody because we all have different talents, we all have different gifts, we all have different personalities. Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not saying there are many roads to heaven. I'm not saying there are many ways, okay? Jesus was very clear in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is in Christ alone. But as Christ followers then, those things that we do, those visions, those missions, those ministries, they all look different from person to person, but it involves taking risk. Letting go of the known and our control and following Jesus no matter what. It could be in a different town. It could be a different job. It, it could be a different situation. It could end up being full-time to be a full-time missionary. We've sent several of those from, from our church here. It could be you serving in your own family or community or on another continent. It could be in a peaceful nation. It could be in a nation full of turmoil. Your life could be at risk. Faith means choosing to follow Jesus. Abraham did it. Noah did it. The little shepherd boy David, when he stood before Goliath, did it. Mary and Joseph and the Magi, in faith, took a risk, stepped out, said, okay, I'll do what it is that you ask of me. David Anderson, Caleb Kinneman, Cecil Sauer, Dave Trowbridge, Manon Strong, just some names I randomly came up with, Stephanie Sandlin, Joel Sandlin. We've all, been com we've all been commanded by Jesus to do certain things. What is our response? Is it yes? Or do we cower in fear and stay in the comfortable chair? If 
Following Jesus reminds me of a member of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, a devoted Christ follower who believed that Jesus had something to teach a segregated world about love and justice and community. One morning in December of 1955, a bus driver told her she must vacate her seat and move to the back of the bus because she was black and a white person needed her seat. In one of the most courageous choices of the 20th century, she did not move. And she started a revolution. The next Monday night, 10,000 followers of Christ gathered together at her church to pray and ask God, what do we do next? 10,000. What do we do next? Because of that choice that she made on that day, a revolution started that was not easy. It had a high cost. Many were beaten. Many were imprisoned. Some even died in our own country. But it changed the conscience of a nation. Maybe not quite enough, but it changed it. All because a mild-mannered, soft-spoken, Christ-following seamstress let go and got out of the boat, which in this case was staying in her seat. Which brings us to a part of faith and discipleship that a lot of people don't like. I don't like it. I don't like to think about this part. It's what happens when mortal men and women interact with the sovereign God. It's the fact that we will constantly live on the edge where fear can occur. (laughs) We really do walk that edge every day. Fear, fear is a reality, and it seems like it happens over and over and over again. Think about this passage. Jesus commands the disciples to get into the boat. They do. What happens? A storm comes up, and they're afraid. Jesus sees them out on the sea, and he comes to them out on the sea, and when he does, what are they? Afraid. Terrified, in fact, it says. Take heart, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Peter asks Jesus to command him out of the boat. Jesus says, take that step, Peter. Peter takes that step. And then what happens? Peter sees the wind. He, he sort of, his, his focus leaves Jesus and starts focusing on the things around him, and he starts to be afraid. He starts to sink. More fear. But then what happens? Where does Peter cry out to Jesus, save me? And what does Jesus do? Ha! Shouldn't have doubted. Hope you can tread water. Nope, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus reached out and he saved him. That's what Jesus does when we take a risk and we fail. He saves us. To be a disciple is to be a learner or a student, to choose to grow in Christ. And growth means entering new territory, letting go, stepping out of the boat, Every time we do that, we can experience fear. Being a disciple, learning, trusting, failing, fearing, trusting, and not necessarily in that order. It could be learning, fearing, failing, trusting, learning. But it seems like all of those things are there all the time. But here's the amazing thing about discipleship. Though fear will always be an option, every time we get out of the boat, we get to enter a new challenge, a new area, and every time we ask God for direction, Okay, we can expect fear, but we can expect him to be right there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Maybe fear has kept you from stepping out and committing to serve. You know, maybe, maybe fear of, 
I don't know. You know, there's, there's several things here that I was just thinking of this week. Our Stevens ministry training is going to be coming up the first part of next year. Maybe you've been thinking about being a part of that ministry, but you've been afraid. Listen to God. If God says, yes, I want you to do that, your response should be, take a step out of the boat. Um, maybe, maybe you've been having some promptings in your heart about being an Awana leader or being one of Pastor Caleb's youth ministry leaders or helping downstairs in the kids' ministry. I mean, there's all sorts of places where we can volunteer, where we can commit, where we can step out of the proverbial boat. Maybe, maybe you've gotten a little comfortable in the seat that you're sitting in every Sunday morning, and that's it. That's the extent of, of your commitment right now. I, I just can't think that that's what God wants you solely to be committed to, sitting in that seat once a week. Number three is this, stepping out of the boat and living in daring faith results in remarkable things. It does. It does. When we face that fear, when we face that risk of failure with courage and obedience, remarkable things happen. Look at, look at this, verse 30. But when he, saw, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached his hand out and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat did what? Worshipped him. They just saw an amazing thing, a remarkable thing. Peter, Peter did what no other man on earth has ever done before. He walked on water. Yes, Peter saw the wind, took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. And, and yes, Jesus said, you have little faith. But I wonder what their conversation was later. I, I, wonder, I wonder how much Peter's faith grew when he thought about the fact that he actually did walk on the water. You know, when I, I go through something that's really hard and I look back on that, I think, wow, Yes, in, in the power of God, I did that thing. But I did that thing. So next time when that comes up, it's like, it's like repelling, right? So they say, oh, well, this rope will hold you. Just, all you got to do is just lean back and put all your weight on the rope and back off the rock. Yeah, right, that sounds easy. If you've never done it before, it's a little bit hard to put all of your faith in that rope. But once you do it once or twice and you see that it actually does, so much easier the next time and the next time and the next time. So, so maybe you're sitting here this morning and you, you haven't taken that, that first step ever out of the boat because you've been crippled by fear. Take that step. Take that step. Peter did. And here's the great news. When you fail, because we all do, Jesus isn't going to let you drown. When we call out to him to save us because we failed, he will reach his hand out and pick us up. Remarkable things. Peter walked on water. He grew in his faith. He learned. He was saved by Jesus. Then the wind and the waves, they died down. Jesus did that. He still controls that. And they worshiped. All remarkable things. Same remarkable things that we can experience in our everyday lives. Children growing up as an adults and, and walking in the faith that we train them in. Why? Because we're such great parents? No. Because they serve an almighty God who is sovereign. People we know will surrender their life to Jesus. 
have surrendered to, have been baptized here. People who we thought in our minds would never even be interested about having a conversation about Jesus in the first place. I can't wait to hear Wendy call us and say, hey, guess what? They're shutting down a mosque. Why? Because they all came to Christ. Wouldn't that be remarkable? Why not dream about that? Why not take steps to do that here in our own county? Communities, businesses, families transformed. Why? Because we, because you, were willing to take a step out of a boat and do something uncomfortable that God was commanding you to do. We're going to continue to face problems and challenges to obey And when Jesus saved Peter on that day, he was simply doing what he has done from the creation of time. And he will always do. We can trust him for that. Um, I want to close with this verse right here. It's from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 2 and 3. It says this. No verse. Not up there. I have it right here, though. When you pass through the waters, this is Isaiah, okay? This is Old Testament. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we step out of the boat, that's his promise. Let's stand. Let's have a worship team come up. And let's sing this last song, which which proclaims the fact that, that Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never let go. That's, that's his promise to us, and that is then our commitment to him.